welcome to the Flex Success Podcast, where we teach you how to be less shit. Covering all things science relating to nutrition, training, recovery, and more. Who knows, we might even sprinkle in a dick joke or two. <laughs> Another podcast episode, here we go. Indeed, we're doing it. Can you believe it's been a week already? It actually hasn't. It's just a week for you guys because we release them every week. We recorded one like a couple of days ago. <laughs> just why Dean's looking at me funny. Yeah, I'm like, we, did, we definitely didn't do one <laughs> longer than a week ago. So uh, we have no guests today. The guest is my half drink and protein shake for those of you that are watching on YouTube. <laughs> it's ground up peas and brown rice. Yeah, it's a vegan protein coffee. shake. Hashtag ethical. Or oh, maybe it's Elmo on my jumper. That's the guest today. Clearly very professional, wearing Elmo jumpers and still drinking protein shakes as we record. I'm just going to rely on my second inner personality that talks to me from inside. <laughs> and I'm hoping that he or she, oh, she. comes out to play. <laughs> All right, let's see. Now, Dean and I wanted to jump on and record this podcast for you guys around daily minimums. And we're kind of splitting it into three categories, we thought. <clears throat> <laughs> protein shake stuck in throat, sorry, between activity, nutrition, and lifestyle. Can we mute this while I have a coughing fit? Sure we can. <coughs> no, we're good. It's not the Rona. It's just protein shake halfway down throat. <coughs> I hope. I'll cough towards you, Dean. <laughs> I'm immune. All right, sure. Uh, now, we hear people say, you should exercise enough. You should do enough, you know, activity and eat enough fruit and vegetables, sleep enough. What the fuck is that? Like, what does that really mean? Um, it's really difficult to give firm numbers because, you know, there's slight variations from person to person, but we're going to do our best um, to give you some food for thought and give you some guidelines to work with. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so the ideal here is that we're going to give exactly that. A few baseline guidelines, perhaps some ranges, um, and also maybe some tips on how you can get those daily minimums. Uh, and as Liz, I believe, has already said, we're doing activity, we're doing nutrition, and we're doing lifestyle. Yeah. Cool. So first one, what's the most exciting one? I think we should wrap it up. <laughs> daily one. steps is not the most exciting I think one. we should wrap it up with lifestyle because it kind of <laughs> combines everything in one. All right, when let's it gets talk about activity. Activity. Two main ones we're going to talk about today, steps. Mm-hmm. Maybe some aerobic output or cardio for those playing at home. Mm -hmm. And weight training. You can't count. That's three, mate. Did I say a couple? Yeah, you said two. Oh. Um, <clears throat> we should also mention that we're talking about this in the context of like every fucking day of the year or every week. We're not talking about like, you know, like except for when you're on holidays or except for when you're going through a bad breakup. We're, we're trying to establish like the minimum requirements um, that would be reasonable for you to continue doing when you've got your nine to five, you know, work routine or when there's a global pandemic and you're indoors or, yep. you know, so there's definitely some flexibility within these boundaries. For example, right now, Dean and I can't go to the gym, but we're still managing to um, establish a new routine with resistance training based around body weight and resistance bands, which is so sad right now, mm -hmm. but you know, yeah, so expected minimums for the purpose of increasing the likelihood that your health will be improved. Health being anything that we could say is related to all-cause mortality, so it could be psychological, it could be physiological, stuff just to make you a better person from the inside out. Hmm. 
we're not going to be talking about like hyperspecificity here because when it comes to resistance training or particular out, uh, cardiac output stuff or aerobic training, they're going to be very goal specific. For me, when I'm thinking about like how can I continue resistance training, what's the minimum I should be doing? I'm coming, uh, obviously I care about my health, but I'm also like really vain, not really vain, but you know, I want to maintain the results that I achieved in the gym. So I was kind of thinking along the lines of for me personally, what is my um, maintenance volume? Thanks, Renaissance periodization coined that term. Mm -hmm. What's my minimum volume to maintain um, what, I, what's, what I got going on? All right. So let's do weight training first then. Okay. Minimum requirements on a daily basis on average across the course of the week for resistance training. What should people be looking at? Yeah, well, resist. I, I do want to talk about um, daily minimums, but resistance training, I guess, kind of sits outside and we can think of this as more of like a, a weekly average mm -hmm. um, because it's, you know, we can't say every day the minimum requirements for weight training is this because seven days a week of weight training is probably overtraining for 99% of people. All really shitty training done repetitively. Yeah, all that. <laughs> if you're a boot camper or something. Um, so if we're talking about health, we could say that we want to be focusing on our compound movements. You know, probably a couple of times a week is fine so long as we're hitting each muscle group or uh, each main movement pattern mm -hmm. once or twice. Yeah, I would say if you were uh, older than 50 mm -hmm. and trying to maintain the current bone structure that you've achieved through your adolescence and, and early bone adulthood. Density. Yeah, bone density, bone mineral density. Uh, then probably you could get away with two times a week of resistance specific training. Yeah. That's going to help with maintenance mm. of skeletal structure, some lean muscle mass retention, uh, and just gen general, like even ligament and tendon health. Mm -hmm. But if we're thinking outside of health and uh, more along muscle mass maintenance, then it probably is going to be more than a couple of times a week. That's going to be dependent on quite a few things. And I did um, just highlight a Renaissance periodization for coining the term maintenance volume before for uh, a more specific or in-depth dive into figuring out how much you should do. I point you towards training volume landmarks mm -hmm. for muscle growth. So just Google that bad boy and the article will come up. But essentially we need to be hitting each muscle group with some sort of intensity um, X number of times per week. So for me, I figured out that uh, my pecs, they grow really quickly and I don't need to do a lot to maintain them. So five sets a week, really mm -hmm. close to failure is all I need to maintain my pecs. Whereas my biceps and my shoulders seem to deflate really quickly so in order to maintain um, the mass that I've built there, I need to do about 10 sets a week uh, close to failure on those muscle groups. Mm -hmm. So that's what I've established um, over time, looking at, well, with a bit of trial and error, but also looking at my training age, um, my, my recovery, my stress management, all of those things come into play. So for me, they're my weekly minimums. Yeah. Resistance training. training is really going to be specific to the task at hand. Yeah. As the task uh, difficulty increases. So like you want to put on more muscle mass, you want to get stronger. Uh, that is going to require more and more frequency. For those playing at home. <laughs> I'm trying to flex my pecs at the camera. <laughs> yeah, so that's going to increase. So like you could say that minimum effective uh, weight training would be at least twice a week for general health. 
as you want to move up the scale of focusing more on strength and hypertrophy, three to four times per week. We're probably thinking about sets per muscle group though. Yeah, of course. And then four to five times per week up to maybe six times per week. And then you'd be segmenting each one of those days into a relative dose of volume being set volume that Liz has just spoken about whereby you might be aiming to either like sort of uh, accumulate that total weekly set volume in one to two sessions, or you could do it over three to four sessions, depending on the approach you want yeah, to Yeah, a high-frequency program. Um, but yeah. So because we're trying to cover training, nutrition, and lifestyle in you know, one podcast that we want to do in less than an hour, we'll probably move on but point you towards um, that training volume landmarks for muscle growth yep. online for uh, more info. Pithy answer for weight training individuals looking to improve their body composition. Minimum effective dose, three times per week. Okay. Potentially maximum effective dose or recoverable amount of volume, thanks to Mark again, would be six times per week. There is potential for seven, but it requires a lot more nuance so we won't talk about. Mm. So the next thing we have to consider when we're looking at um, activity is, well, we want, we want to talk about cardio, but that's also difficult too. Um, we can think about our resting heart rate, so how many times your heart is beating per minute at rest. So not uh, just after you've chased a dog down the street or just after you've got off a shitty phone call to your partner, but at rest. And we've got some pretty wide ranges for normal. Mm -hmm. um, Dean and I are recommending between 50 and 70 beats per minute. And this has um, quite a close relationship with your cardiovascular health and fitness. And if your resting heart rate is more like 50 or 45, it could suggest that you're quite fit. Whereas on the higher end of the scale, it could suggest quite the opposite. So you, you could use your resting heart rate or even your blood pressure as an indication um, for if you need to be adding in some cardio or doing more or maybe changing the type of cardio you're doing from less to more high intensity. Yeah. yeah. So outside of the specific aerobic fitness someone's trying to achieve for a particular sport or something like that. We're talking about health. We're talking about health. We're going to say that if you're outside the range of a resting heart rate on average of 50 to 70 beats per minute, that it's likely that you need to engage in some form of aerobic activity multiple times per week to bring down that typical internal systemic stress, we're going mm. to call it. Um, there's obviously individual intervariability here. Uh, we note that, but that's a quick reference point. If you don't have a, a watch or anything to count your um, heart rate, it's pretty easy. You can finger yourself. <laughs> no. On the neck no. or the wrist? <laughs> you can, yeah, take your pulse at your wrist. Uh, do it with your, your two fingers, two forefingers, not with your thumb. Um, it can be on the inside of your wrist, near the inside of your thumb, or it could be on your throat, um, your carotid. Aim for whichever one you want. You can Google where they are. Do how many beats across 10 seconds and multiply it by six. Mm -hmm. Do that a couple of times at rest throughout the day and take your average. Um, and then if you need assistance on aerobic training, we just uh, did a podcast with Mr. Luke Lehman. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if that will be out before or after this, but look out for the Luke Lehman podcast. We're calling it Cardio for Meatheads. Yep. So do That's going to give you some parameters to follow if you need to uh, express more aerobic fitness. When I was a PT, um, I used to manage a studio in corporate fitness and I had to do, uh, what did we call it, like risk management assessments. And so I had to basically, like all the staff would have to do an assessment with me and I would assess their risk. So would they have be a high risk of having a heart attack on the gym floor? Mm -hmm. If yes, they needed to get a clearance from their GP. 
So I used to uh, measure our blood pressure and resting heart rate, but I also used to teach my clients how to measure their own resting heart rate because I don't like to create dependency. I like to teach people how to do their own shiz. And one thing I found when people were taking their resting heart rate is they were so focused. They, some of them would like hold their breath. <laughs> so they'd, do, they'd be so focused on like counting like one, two, and, and they're yeah, holding their breath, which is going to send your heart rate up and give you a false reading. So just be sure to be in a quiet, calm place. You're just breathing normally mm-hmm. um, and, and try not to do that sort of stuff. <laughs> and then same for um, blood pressure. We're going to yeah. say if you're outside the norm, so if you overstay 125 by 80, give or take, the average is obviously 120 over 80. Is the, is, sorry, not the average, but the intended uh, value that you want to be considered healthy. Uh, and I would normally do healthy in inverted quotes. Uh, but then the same thing. So you want to try and seek maybe some specific advice on how to drive up that aerobic fitness to bring down that typical stress response, which is heightened heart rate and heightened blood pressure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so finally, before we move on to nutrition, we can talk about daily steps. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody has this random arbitrary number of 10,000. It's yeah. not really founded on anything. I think it's founded on the fact that when you buy a Fitbit, that's what they automatically set your target at. Well, they set it now, but it was originally a Japanese dude who came up with the pedometer and then there was something to do with uh, the way it was built in 10,000. This was the number. I can't remember the story, but it's essentially an arbitrary made up number. With no Is it like the 1,200 calorie diet? Where yeah. does that come from? Yeah. Uh, and even the heart rate max, um, equation, the 220 minus heart weight. That heart, heart rate, oh, sorry, minus, minus age. minus your age. Your 220 yeah. minus age to give you your uh, estimated uh, heart rate max is just literally a number that they clicked out and went, that, that plucked out. They said, that's about right, kind of. <laughs> and everyone's stuck with it since. Yeah. But if you look in the research, there's no actual... Um, nothing to suggest. Nothing to suggest that that's actually the truth, hmm. which is super interesting because even I was taught that at university. Yeah. But anyway, that's a side shoot. Uh, yeah. So the research associated with... Uh, Daily step output on average, seven thousand two hundred. Yeah, to decrease all cause mortal all cause mortality again. So let's take anything to uh, to do with like heart health, blood lipid health, uh, even things like uh, blood glucose regulation, uh, blood pressure, body weight, xxxxx, and so on, so on, so on. Is about seventy two hundred steps on average per day across the course of the week. Mm. Um, Can I do one thousand one day and then fifteen thousand the next day then? <laughs> kind of works out over the week um now that that can definitely change depending on you know what you're trying to do so when i was in the middle of my cut i raised my step target from seven thousand to ten thousand uh just because i was after weight loss and obviously i'm trying to increase my output um now that you know i i dropped a bit of weight my photo shoot got cancelled i'm now holding a weight stable i'm back down to seven thousand a day So people, you know, coming up to a comp prep, if they just can't bear taking out more food, but they need to affect the energy balance somehow, that could go up to 15,000 if they like, or, you know, just pulling a number out of the air. But it's not fucking me. No, well, me and Dalton actually had a a conversation about this once. I I guess theoretically, no, it's not neat because it's formal activity. The reason why I say it's not neat is because there's a bunch of dickwad coaches out there. Which stands for non-exercise activity thermogenesis, which is the movement you do when you're not formally exercising. Yeah, go on. So what they're doing is essentially like if you had someone who normally would do 10,000 steps, they start dieting, they end up doing 7,000 because they come lazy. Initially, we said, let's do some steps. 
Yeah. And let's offset that adaptation that people typically go through. That's a tick for neat as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. But what we're actually seeing is now coaches saying, I don't give cardio to my clients. Like, come to me, I'm the no cardio guy. But do 20,000 But they're just formalizing the amount of steps that individuals have to do. So, yeah, you can work up to 20,000 per day. And, like, fuck, man, I've got however many clients I have right now. And I think maybe one guy currently hits eighteen to 20,000 from his job and he's, a, he's, a, he's in la- uh, laboring. So mm. most people, on average, are, like, somewhere between 7,000 to 14,000. Me and you are at 3,000 if we don't try because we have desk jobs. <laughs> yeah, <that's true. laughs> Which is why we have to have a step target. But for most people, they come to us because fat loss is the goal, not always, but some most of the time. And when you put someone in a calorie deficit, Um, there's some adaptations that occur. So your body doesn't care how that you want to look leaner. It just doesn't want you to starve to death. And when you're losing weight, your body thinks that that's the process that's beginning. We're beginning to starve to death. So these adaptations take place um, to make you a little bit more lethargic, to increase your food seeking behaviors. So we find that when people eat less food, they start to move around less, which affects the calorie balance in a way that isn't positive for the result that we're trying to achieve, which is why we find it very important to set minimum daily step targets um, so that we do have more control over that calorie balance. Yeah, we're trying to ameliorate the negatives of dieting, Mm. not necessarily use steps as a means to burn energy. No. Even then, it's not that high. So the average calorie burn per 1,000 steps, this is definitely a little bit skewed for some individuals, but it's about 30 to 50 calories depending on body type. Yeah. If you look at like met activity data and then apply it to body weight and a brisk walk, 30 calories per 1,000 steps if you're walking fast because most people can get about 1,000 in per 10 minutes. Yeah. So we're talking like three to five calories per minute being burned by most people. The heavier you are, the more calories you burn. Yeah. So minute. even if you're driving someone's steps from 10,000 to 15,000, it's not that much. It's costing them 150 calories up to 250 calories if they're a large human. Yeah. You could probably bang that out on a cardio machine mm-hmm. far quicker and just be okay with saying, I prescribe cardio for fat loss. Yeah. But just so that we uh, can talk about daily minimum for steps, we're suggesting 7,000 as a minimum, yeah. but that would obviously depend on some variables that we discussed. If you're trying to lose weight, gain weight, if you have an active job. You know. mm-hmm. So I think also steps can come back into the back end of this conversation today, which will be our lifestyle and stress management. And sometimes uh, implementing a step count that forces people to be a little bit formal in their activity can otherwise be stress relieving and also beneficial for their psychological health and stuff like that. So Hmm. uh, any tips on people that have low step count and they need to bump it up, but don't want to feel like it's impacting their life. (laughs) That's me because I sit down all day and I, um, you know, keyboard warrior I personally, if I, I'll get to the end of the day, if I don't try and I'm like, oh, I've got an hour of walking to do. So what I like to do is I like to roll out of bed and just go for a walk first thing in the morning. And I'm privileged enough to live near the ocean. So I like to not think about that as exercise or something I have to do, but just a chance to get out, you know, just listen to the waves. And I get about 3000 steps in, in the morning before I sit down at my desk And I find that quite enjoyable and it just happens to tick the step box. Mm -hmm. Um, And I also find using a walk around lunchtime, just a good mental break as well. And for my poor sore eyes that get strained from the screen. So I like to just use my breaks um, and my before work time to get steps in. So that really works for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, If it's raining, I've been known to run on the spot in front of the TV. (laughs) Or you can add it to the following day if you like, but you don't really want to play that game because if you do it too often, you find yourself having to do 30,000 steps 
two days in a row <laughs> to make up for it. And that's not really conducive to building good, consistent habits. Yeah, because this is health this is <laughs> health seeking behaviors and habit building, mm -hmm. uh, but also managing stress. And a massive 30,000 step day is going to induce more stress than it will necessarily induce positive health benefits. So mm -hmm. uh, my tips would be just unhack your life as much as possible. We live in a society that is designed to actually hack the fuck out of your life and make it easier. Like people take the escalator. So don't take the escalator, take the stairs. Uh, park your car a little bit further away from the entry point to the, the shops. Um, even do some steps in between your sets when training, unless it's a big strength day. Uh, you can afford to do a few steps there. Uh, and if you're like me, even though Liz hates this habit, I like to walk the aisles of the shops when I go for groceries. And that also banks me some more steps without thinking Because we're about so busy it. and you spend so long at the supermarket. That's quite busy. There's so many interesting things. And I'm trying not to have a heart attack. I mean, come on, give me a break <laughs> All right, here. but they don't want really to have a heart attack. If, anyone, if I die, everybody, you know it's because Liz rushed me. Speaking of being busy though, um, sometimes when we're having team meetings, if I don't have to be in front of my computer, I like to do team meetings um, while I walk, which is really annoying when sirens and big trucks and stuff go past. Sorry guys. Um, or when I'm just chatting with my friends, instead of just lazing on the couch, I'll use that time to take Ruben out, our amazing dog for a walk and I get steps in and some social time and some sun and fresh air at the same time. Yep. So multitasking. Yeah, they're very important. Um, yes, they're very important. Super, super important. All right, what is next, Liz? Nutrition. Nutrition. Cool. cool. So, we're <laughs> cool. Jinx. Cool, 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 cool. Brooklyn Nine-Nine fans, you'll know what's up. So, we want to talk about uh, plant food, and that's for fiber, micronutrients, high residue for satiation. We also want to talk about protein, calories, and hydration. So starting at plant food. So yes, just to finish, that's four daily minimums for nutrition we're going to talk about. Cool. Four daily plant food, protein, calories, hydration. Indeed. Cool. I wasn't sure if hydration should go under lifestyle or nutrition. I chew my water. Do you? <laughs> well, you do have Not that nutrition requires you to chew. But, yeah. <laughs> you add cordials to your water. I exclusively eat ice. So that I can... <laughs> <laughs> it's the only way I get in my fluids now. I just eat ice because it's nutritious. Do you know what I used to do as a kid? I used to get um, Ribena syrup, dip ice cubes into it and suck on the ice cubes. I wasn't deprived as a child. I don't know why I did that. But that's like, man, that's like taking a drug that only lasts for 10 seconds. <laughs> it's like you're seeking just that, that I hit. continuously re-dip it. And then it's, oh, okay, right. Yeah. I'm going to say, it's just followed by constant disappointment. It's like, oh, that was nice. Oh, that shit. No, but I have Raynaud's disease, which essentially just means I have a really shitty circulation to my fingers and toes. So when I'm exposed to the cold, my fingers and toes, they really hurt and I'm at a higher risk of frostbite. It only has to be, what, like 18 degrees for me to get numb and sore fingers. If by 18 you mean 24, yeah. 20, yeah, but maybe. It, like, if there's a breeze out. Just, <laughs> so holding onto ice really hurts me but i loved doing it with ribena so much that i was just like ow ooh, it tastes good ow ooh, it tastes good i'm picturing you wearing gloves while doing this <laughs> and you're definitely that weird kid at school that oh, no one man. wants to sit next to i wear gloves in spring sometimes and i take ruby for a morning walk <laughs> people probably look at me like who's this germaphobe i'm like no i have a disease <laughs> yeah i don't walk with you on that don't judge me all right <clears throat> enough about me <laughs> plant on food. Plant food. how much do they need yeah, I recently wrote a blog on it. Again, if you want to read in more detail, it's called Plant Food, How Much Do We Need? Or something like that. Um, now, the government recommendations, RDI, recommended daily intakes 
for plant food of five serves of veg and two serves of fruit. But what is five serves and two serves, Liz? <laughs> Great question. First, let me unpack <laughs> why it's important to have these minerals. Now, the only uh, thing that contains fiber is plant food. And plant food, um, we can think of plant food as anything that comes from a plant. So obviously fruit and vegetables. We can also think of like lentils, uh, chickpeas, nuts, all of those things have fiber as well. But we're going to talk about recommended daily intake for um, fruit and veg. What was your question again? How many serves and how do you tell which is five and what's two? <laughs> One serve of vegetables is 75 grams. And that's the same for if it's frozen um, or if it's fresh or if it's canned, it's 75 grams. So if we go uh, five serves times 75, we can just round up to 400 grams a day. So we can think of your daily minimum vegetable intake as about 400 grams a day. Non-starch. Yes, we're talking about non-starchy vegetables. And this is because uh, fruit and vegetables contain vitamins and minerals, which are really important for a whole host of reasons. Um, and different fruit and vegetables have different types and combinations of vitamins and minerals. If we were to include starchy food, think like potatoes, pumpkin, things that we usually have a big serve of, like 300 grams wouldn't be unusual, then we could fill... 300 grams out of our 400 gram daily target just with one type of vegetable um, and that doesn't really encourage variety yeah i've always uh because even though i'm not a boob man <clears throat> you like boobs. there's always more more d's are better than less d's right so i i, I like to hang uh, on what d's you mean a boob size well no i'm saying i propose an acronym of the triple d's when oh, it comes to micronutrients oh, oh right, right i'm right. saying even though i'm not a boob man i still reference double d's and triple d's and <laughs> one d more is always better than one d less okay um I maybe, see where you maybe for some people but not for others you know back pain stuff okay um <laughs> so daily uh-huh density uh-huh diversity i like they're that. my three so you have to have these daily you should have lots of density which means just eat as much of them as you want uh, and there should be diversity, not just diversity in micronutrients or in uh, vegetables, but also in the way in which you cook them. Mm. So like, I like multiple colors. I like multiple variations of cooking. So it can be raw, can be steamed, can be boiled, can be baked. doesn't matter. Just keep that shit diverse. Mm -hmm. Keep it dense. Keep it daily. I like it. That's good. 400 grams minimum. That's good. Uh, now to try and express why it's an RDI recommended daily intake, not an RWI recommended weekly intake is because fruit and vegetables mainly have water-soluble vitamins, which are different from fat-soluble vitamins. Um, and any excess is detected by the liver and excreted through urine, which is why if anyone's ever taken a multivitamin, then peed and thought that they've turned into a wizard, <laughs> that's because... Yes, uh, Hulk. I turn into Hulk. <laughs> is that so? Just for one moment in time. Oh, look at my bright which basically pee. means every time I pee, I tear my shirt off. <laughs> <be> like, <laughs> So let's think about, um, let's say, for example, you've set yourself a three litre water target per day. If you drink, and that's 21 litres over the week. Let's say you drink, is that right? Yep. Yeah. Let's say you drink nothing for six days and you drink 21 litres on the seventh day. That's not going to be very helpful for obvious reasons. Um, and the same goes with uh, vegetable intake because, as I mentioned, Excess is detected by the kidneys and excreted through the urine. If we're not getting anything and we don't have a storage system there for water-soluble vitamins, we're not doing ourselves any favours if we have nothing for six days and then eat our whole weekly intake in one day. Not to mention 
you're probably going to be curled over in a ball from all the fiber. <laughs> yeah, so no reservoir. <laughs> yeah, which you get fat-soluble vitamins that's stored in the liver and adipose tissue or fat tissue. So if you eat, you know, double the amount of uh, goodness from fat-soluble vitamins, so think things like avocado, nuts, seeds, mm -hmm. even oily fish. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then, so you eat double one day and nothing the following day because of that storage system, we're all good. Yeah. So not as much of a big deal, which is why we're pretty strict on the five and two with fruit and veg. Um, whereas with fat, we can be a little bit more flexible for health reasons. Yeah. Um, okay. So I've, I've quickly nutted out what we mean by how much is enough for veggies, veggies which is five times 75, but for fruit, we need two serves a day. And how much is two serves? Well, if we're talking about fresh or frozen fruit, um, the government is outlining that as 150 grams for one serve. So we can just think of that as 300 grams in a day. You can have one, one banana, about 100 grams, and then 200 grams of watermelon. So we haven't split it exactly between two serves. We've had you know less than one serve of banana, but more than one serve of watermelon. But if we're having 100% fruit juice, that works out to be pretty much the same, 125 mils. Um, if we're thinking about dried fruit, however, or dehydrated fruit, that's 30 grams. 30 grams is the same equivalent as 150 grams. Raw that's considered one serve, yeah. Mm -hmm. So you could have 150 grams of watermelon and 30 grams of dried fruit, and then you've ticked your boxes for two serves. Um, that de dehydration. Yeah. Dean, do you want to talk us through, uh, for satiation reasons, why someone might want to choose dried fruit or like in what stage of their well, diet? Well, yes, typically speaking, when we're dealing with most individuals that are trying to diet down, mm -hmm. we're looking for ways to increase the satiety of the diet by either increasing the volume of the food that they consume via uh, a greater intake of low energy density foods like fruits, vegetables, like mm -hmm. we're talking about. High residue foods. High residue foods, so large amounts of a volume for very little calories. If you're somebody who is eating an abundance of calories, you kind of want to invert your approach. Yeah, that's mainly for people that are trying to gain weight or just have really low appetites. Yeah, one major thing that I, uh, I see a lot of clients struggle with, especially in my population of uh, mainly men trying to be massive, is that when there's an abundance of calories available, the first thing to go for most people is fruit and vegetables because they're trying to eat highly calorie-dense foods. So they'd rather eat, say, rice crackers and honey as opposed to eating potato. Uh, and they don't want to then also fill up on 400 grams of non-starch, highly cruciferous vegetables because it distends them, they have digestive issues, they get Barty McFartison. Mm. It's just uncomfortable. Um, so for individuals that are in that position or even somebody who has a very low appetite, uh, we typically might go for dry fruit instead of fresh fruit. Yeah, because they could eat 60 grams of fruit to tick that fruit box as opposed to 300. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's just easier on their digestive system. And, and a quick side note too is that this is still, uh, it's important to recognize that this is minimum requirements. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't eat more or that you can't eat more. You absolutely can. Mm -hmm. um, I would say as a quick little caveat that if you have low calorie availability in your diet and you have low specifically carbohydrate availability, I typically wouldn't recommend an abundance of fruit as your primary carbohydrate source, mm. even though... Um, it's the most satiating and it's the lowest carbohydrate uh, food that you can probably eat that's sweet and delicious. So like most, most fruits outside of uh, banana. banana are kind of like around 10%, give or take, on either yeah. side. So you can eat a lot of them. Strawberries are four, apples are like 12. Yeah, that's delicious, so hydrating, watermelon, six and a half. Mm. 
But um, the reason being is that although not all fruits, sugars are fructose, just a quick one for that, for those people out there that believe all fruit is fructose, that's not true. <laughs> no. There's varying levels depending on ripeness, depending on type of fruit and all the rest of it. Yeah. Um, but generally speaking, less than 50%, sometimes up to 50%, a little bit higher, but doesn't matter. God, you'd have to be eating a lot of fruit to be worried about fructose. Yeah, you would. <laughs> uh, from, a, from an adipose or fat gain point of view, you don't have to worry about fruit. Not a, not a thing. Uh, but if you have very low energy availability, very low carbohydrate availability, then solely relying on fruit, whereby you may be donating somewhat up to 50% of that uh, carbohydrate level to liver glucose or uh, liver glycogen, I should say, specifically from fructose, it means you're potentially limiting the capacity for storing some of the carbs you eat in the muscle tissue, which is going to be more conducive to performance enhancement the more carb you have in there. So as um, carbohydrates go down in a diet, I typically go to lower energy density fruits so that we're not dedic uh, not dividing most of the carbohydrates into fructose. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, but otherwise, if you're a, a big human and you're eating lots of calories, doesn't matter which one, um, and, and go for the dry fruit. Yeah, yeah, consider your appetite. Um, although we, we will move on to protein in just a sec because veggies isn't the most exciting topic. Yeah. But um, vegetable intake is so, so helpful for people who are really struggling with their hunger. Although Dean overdid it in his last prep. Um, you remember all that? Not my last one, my, my, second, my first one. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Two preps ago. Yeah. yeah, everyone's going to have an overreaching point with uh, non starchy, highly cruciferous vegetables where the fermentation outweighs the benefits. Yeah. Um, and you'll be constantly pregnant. Uh, and if you're constantly distended, you actually will start to mess up, in my experience, your feedback mechanisms for what true hunger is versus what appetite is. And it actually makes the process a lot harder. Dean slept on the so, couch a couple of nights because he was farty. Mm. Typically speaking, like somewhere between 500 grams a day and a kilo, I think there's probably like a range most people can get away with. If you're shifting into the like a greater than a kilo of vegetables, or you might be in some pain mm. and so might your partner. Yes. <laughs> Unfortunately, I have to suffer the consequences sometimes too. All right. So moving on to nitrogen intake. So, well, talking about protein as a daily minimum. Now, if we're thinking... It's 0.8 grams per kilogram, isn't it? <laughs> So it's funny because I'm talking about government recommendations for plant food, for, for fruit and vegetables, and then government recommendations is 0 0.8 grams per kilo of body weight. So I'm 60 kilos, so that would be what, like? Just under 50. Under 48 50? grams. Oh, my fucking God. But that shake you just had has put you over. You may die from <laughs> renal disease. I think, I think Liz's kidneys are shutting down on his feet. <laughs> so the reason that um, we sort of... Uh, the, the audience that we speak to are people who typically strength train mm -hmm. and are after muscle gain, not just uh, not dying, which is why we take our recommendations from the scientific literature within that specific group of people. Yeah, we are scoffing at the government right now. <laughs> scoffing. Scoffing at Scotty, um, even though Scotty doesn't do it. <laughs> Scotty doesn't. Bloody Scotty. Scotty doesn't know. Hey, there's another movie right Oh, Scotty doesn't know. <laughs> not the Okay. <laughs> uh, so, uh, where was I? I've really derailed myself. <laughs> uh, recommendations. I said 0.8 grams per kilogram because yeah. that's the minimum effective dose from a government regulation point of view for that. general population people to survive. Yeah. But what we're talking about here is what do we need to maintain our muscle mass while we're dieting or to build muscle mass when we're eating in a surplus, yada, yada, yada. And uh, the studies show... So anyone that's resistance trained... Mm -hmm. Uh, I would say minimum effective uh, dosage of protein per day would be 1.5 grams per kilogram of body weight. Mm -hmm. Assuming that you are within normative uh, body fat, body weight ranges. Mm -hmm. uh, if you are exponentially above or below, uh, above that and you're 
currently in a phase where you want to reduce your, your body weight or your body mass, so, then, then do it on your goal weight. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So if someone weighs 100 kilos, so sorry, the range, 1.5 up to 2.2, Yeah, say. that's probably the good um, and we'll, we'll talk in a sec about like where you should sit in that range. So Dean's saying that if you're, let's say a hundred kilos and you want to eat two grams of protein per kilo of body weight, that's within that range. So that would suggest 200 grams of protein per day. You definitely pick the easy maths one on that. Well, how much protein I still I, use my fingers to count. How much protein would I need if I'm 88 kilos and want to do 1.7? <laughs> Um, but anyways, Dean said that if you're 100 kilos, you probably don't want to eat 200 grams of protein per kilo of body weight if you're 100 kilos and quite fat. If you're lean, perhaps that might be appropriate. But let's say your goal weight was 80 kilos, you would go 80 times 2, and then you would set your target off that. Yeah, I reckon if you, uh, just to throw, uh, literally, this is an arbitrary number that I'm making up right now, but if you're within yeah. 10% of a goal body weight, then you can probably just do it on the typical reference range of 1.5 mm. through to 2.2. Uh, what about overreaching ranges? There's definitely, you can definitely get higher in protein, uh, but physiologically we could say that for most people that aren't in severe deficits that aren't do that don't have currently severely low body fat ranges, 2.2 is plenty. Mm. You know? Absolutely. But if you're a freak on the outside skirt, the outskirts of, uh, normality, mm -hmm. you could take that up above three grams per kilogram. Uh, it's likely got less to do with muscle retention and physiological support and more to do with, again, appetite, satiety that we mm, mentioned before. Personal preferences. Yeah. yeah, so you might want to... Okay, so as we go into a calorie deficit and try and lose body weight, usually the goal is to lose body fat and at least maintain your body mass or as much as possible. Um, and as we lose weight, our risk of muscle loss increases. So that's why when we're in a deficit, we might want to go on to the higher end of the scale, 2 grams, 2.2 grams, of protein per kilo of body weight. Whereas when you're in a surplus, you're in quite an anabolic environment, not a catabolic environment. So you can get away with far less. So too people who are taking performance enhancing drugs, your protein synthesis uh, is supported. So you can also get away with a little bit less. So depending on if you're trying to gain or trying to lose, that would determine or kind of guide how many grams of protein you'd be consuming. Yeah. I uh, To give an analogy, I think like if, you could think about protein in those two instances would be if you had a car and you were just driving it normally, it requires a mechanic to look at it every three to six months. But if you want to thrash the fucking piss out of that car on the racetrack, it's going to require the mechanic to service it really frequently. So you, as a security blanket to the car's performance, you're going to give it to the mechanic really regularly. And this is the same with protein. You're just going to give it some more protein to ensure that it's got some security there, just in case uh, your body wants to tap into that damn muscle source. Hmm. I can't really relate to metaphors of casting. <laughs> <laughs> another two, I was going to do another show reference, Tim Allen from Home Improvement. I butchered it. That's on <laughs> so yeah, 1.5 through to 2.2 for the majority of people, potentially up to three. Um, if you're in the extreme people, this really probably isn't the podcast for you because it was talking about daily minim minimums for the majority of individuals mm -hmm. who are looking to service their health. So the next thing we want to consider, the third point out of four with nutrition is calories. Um, now, for people that have never kind of tracked before it might be really challenging to kind of auto regulate that so we're sort of talking to the people that have tracked their macros before and considered their calories and we know that um daily targets are helpful 
but really we can be a little bit more flexible and think of them as weekly targets. Keep in mind though, I'm talking about weekly targets for calories. It's really important to hit your daily um, protein target, but you can be a bit more flexible with your calories from the other two main macronutrients being carbs and fats. If you were 300 calories under on Tuesday from carbs and or fats, you can add those 300 calories to the following day because it's averages over time that are going to create the result that you're seeking. Um, to establish your calories, I mean, some rough guides, it would depend on so many things like your activity level, both formal and informal, your muscle mass, your gender, if you're taking drugs or not. But we can say for females, what, 30 times body weight? In kilos. Yeah, I'm probably hesitant to give more ranges on calories just because there are a lot more uh, variables. variables to consider. But the reason why we put it in today, I think, too, is because they are a daily necessity and they're, they're the overarching control of body weight maintenance or management, I should say, mm -hmm. and also performance management. So you have to consume calories. Yeah. Uh, but to give them the largest ranges possible, uh -huh. you could say females maintenance, 25 to 35 times body weight, and men maybe 30 to 40 times. Yeah, we're talking about in kilos, in kilograms, not in pounds. Not in pounds. Well, it's not uncommon at all for me to have some of my male flexors on 40, 45 times body weight and just maintaining their body yeah. weight. Yeah. So there are huge ranges. But check out Eric Helms's Pyramid of Importance for Weight Management. Is that what it's uh, called? Nutrition, yeah. He's got the nutrition and then he's got the Nutrition strength and strength pyramid. Yeah. yeah. Definitely good for setting up ranges. Um, even if you use calculators, on, calculators online, you can definitely do that. Uh, typically, they might be out on average by about 10 to 15%. So it's just a bit of a like, plug it in, eat that shit for a couple of uh, weeks, reassess, has your body weight moved up or down? That's going to tell you. Yeah. Uh, where you're at in regards to that calorie uh, maintenance versus surplus versus deficit. There's a couple of difficulties here. I think this is why it's so important to have a coach that knows what they're talking about because they can consider all of your variables and figure out um, what the theoretical TDE or total daily energy expenditure is for you. And based off your TDEE, they can plus or minus that cool. for your goal. Um, and they can also teach you how to accurately eat to those targets as well, because it's not enough to get at your MyFitnessPal and use the search function and be like, slice off bread. Oh, I'll just choose from one of these 20 options. So I think this is where having a coach is really, really helpful. And then um, they can also teach you when to step away from that. Mm -hmm. um, so you're not stuck on that forever. But uh, we don't have all day, so maybe you will. Yeah, so a little bit less specific on the calories, but if you're mm -hmm. somewhere within that range, it's going to give you a good ballpark figure to start with. Um, and again, that was on kilograms of body weight. Uh, similarly, uh, if you were somebody who wanted to shift greater than 10% away from your current body weight to the to the negative, as in dropping weight, you could theoretically use those ranges for your new body weight as a maintenance for new body weight as well. Mm -hmm. As that's opposed true. to... You could set, set that as your target. Yeah, instead of saying a deficit. Like, um, so that's one way. So that would be opposed to figuring out your TDE, then putting yourself into a 20% deficit. Yeah. yeah. Just take your goal body weight and give it an average straight down the middle of the bell curve yeah. uh, calorie allotment and then just eat to that. And theoretically, you should end up somewhere in that ballpark mm, in a certain amount of time. Accuracy, yeah. is yeah, there's going to be some problems with that. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, hydration, last one. Easy peasy. Easy peasy. Shit, dad joke. <laughs> pee clear once a day. That's how much water you require. Yeah. Like realistically, uh, pee or pee somewhat straw color, color, uh, color for the majority of the day. Don't pee clear all day. There's definitely some uh, times that that's not appropriate advice, like certain medications or supplements. Mm. But, you know, for most people we can. And don't. my tip would be don't wait until you're thirsty 
to drink out of sight, out of mind. So I always like to have a bottle of water on my desk and it also helps me for appetite control because it's easy to confuse mm -hmm. thirst with hunger um, and you can use it as an appetite suppressant from time to time as well. Yeah, we'd have to say like anywhere between what, two and five litres? Yeah, depending you know? on body weight and how active you are, how much you're sweating. Um, but if you see numbers like you should have one litre for every 20 kilograms of body weight, that again is just an arbitrary number that's been made up to sound sexy, so people go with yeah. it. Yeah. Um, they're all right guidelines they're, they're certainly that they're yeah. just guidelines they're not necessities it also should theoretically include all uh liquids not just water but the majority should be coming from water mm. our body's such an adaptive machine so i have clients that say to me what i can't possibly drink two liters of water a day i have water in my coffee um i might have like a sip of water with dinner and that's like the only water i have because i'm never thirsty and that can just come down to the fact that like when you're drinking lots of water, your body knows that lots of water is going to continue to come in. So you're continuing to pee mm -hmm. all the time. So people that just never get thirsty, their body's just not kind of filtering that through. So once they start to drink more water, they're like, oh my God, I'm actually getting thirsty now. Like, what is this feeling? Yeah. Yeah. There's always going to be some form of regulation that your system's going to go under to keep you surviving. So just because you don't currently feel a particular way doesn't mean that it doesn't exist internally. Yeah. Well, that more water won't be helpful. Uh, and being uh, sufficiently hydrated is going to drive performance. It's going to drive your ability to store carbohydrates more effectively. Memory, concentration. Yeah. You sleep, know. Mm, mm -hmm. mood, digestion. People feel less bloated when they're yeah. sufficiently hydrated. All right. So now we're going to move on to lifestyle starting with sleep. What about quick tips on how to get water in? Okay. Because I've got one. Drink diet right. Diet right for you. This is not a sponsored ad or paid ad. They're giving me no money for this, but I do recommend diet right. It is delicious. I recommend the black currant flavor. Says me who's drinking plain water out of diet, right? <laughs> Not even drinking diet, right? Anything. That's funny. That's why I recommend them because they give you good handheld bottles. So just, just dump the syrup in the, in the drain and just drink the water. <laughs> um, okay. Tips for hydration. Have, if your goal is two liters, have a one liter bottle and fill it up twice a day. That's an easy way to keep track of it. Buy mm -hmm. a two liter bottle. Make sure it's, don't, don't drink water too close to bedtime because you're going to interrupt your sleep. Yeah, man. That is... <laughs> I don't know. I couldn't tell you how many clients I've had that are like, I wake up every night needing to pee. I'm like, when do you consume the majority of your liquids? Oh, before I go to bed. Like, maybe just don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Like sometimes you need to pay a coach just to tell you about the normal shit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do like a half a liter skull when I wake up in the morning. That gets me started. I drink about a liter of coffee. That helps. And and I typically do a liter during a training session. So I can get in three liters kind of with, without looking at Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So with sleep, it's a good segue. Don't interrupt your sleep by drinking most of your water before <laughs> you go to bed. Um, sleep's a difficult one because people struggle with sleep for various reasons. And depending on what those reasons are, would depend on what we would recommend. But one overarching theme is a lack of routine or poor sleep hygiene. Yeah. So do you want to talk to us about sleep routine, Nicola? Yeah. So I think, um, there's going to be numbers that people throw out for the amount of sleep you should have in order to enhance health. Some may say greater than seven hours. Some may say as much as nine hours. We're going to throw a range and say somewhere between seven to nine is kind of in the spot that most people are recommending. More if you're an athlete. There will be people that do six. That's cool. There will be people that do 10. You're a bum. Um, <laughs> no, you're not. I'm just joking. Who has time to sleep oh, 10 hours? That's a lot of hours, hey? Uh, but let's just say somewhere in the seven to nine range is important. But what's more important, what seems to be more indicative of uh, recovery and all of that typical health-seeking behavior stuff that we're uh, talking about 
uh, is to have an appropriate sleep and wake uh, cycle. cycle and range. So the range you want to have roughly an hour window, or not a range, we'll call it a window, a sleep window and a waking window. So if you typically go to bed at 9.30, then you want to be going to bed somewhere between 9 and 10 p.m. as regularly as possible. And then if you wake up at 6 a.m., you want to be waking up somewhere between that sort of 5.30 a.m. and 6.30 a.m. Give yourself a one-hour window, stick to that window. That will keep you in uh, what we would say is like um, uh, an effective circadian rhythm or a supportive, uh, yeah, you're putting up a supportive environment for your circadian rhythms, uh, which is just like an internal clock that just runs continuously mm -hmm. uh, and controls all your hormones and all that kind of shit. Uh, do that. That will be the most uh, effective thing for controlling sleep quality. At first, you may just be laying in bed with your eyes wide open. Um, and then that might come down to trying to do things to relax your mind, which we can get to in just a moment. But it's important that we understand that the habit building process isn't always easy, but once you're in that routine, yeah. it will be easier. Yeah. So the minimum daily there is seven to nine hours within a one hour window of sleep and wake. That's, mm -hmm. that's the, the 90%. That's your bread and butter. Yeah. If you guys remember back to the very beginning of this episode, we were talking about all the time, whether you're on holidays or it's your nine to five. And this includes whether it's weekends or not. Um, obviously occasionally, you know, you go out to dinner and that turns into, you know, a bit of a night out, but that's, that's the odd occasion. So Dean and I still get up between 5.30 really and 6 is we mm -hmm. kind of have a half an hour wake window, even on Sunday mornings, because we know that if we break that routine, even for one day, it's going to be harder to keep that routine established on all other well, days. I, so I feel worse. I for well, sure feel worse if I wake up or go to bed. My right body clock is so set that like I'm ready to get up at 5.30 to mm. 6 o'clock. Um, I don't even set my alarm anymore. <laughs> oh, you're so funny. No, it's basically because my dog <laughs> or our dog runs to our bed and cries for his walk at That's that true. time. So I really have no choice. You want to talk about circadian rhythms and like this internal clock that people are, uh, this governing clock that you're not even aware that's going on, but it kind of dictates, uh, you know, peaks and troughs in energy even things like appetite is somewhat on a clock. Mm -hmm. All that jazz. Fucking dogs, they know when it's 7 p.m. Well, at least ours does. It's 7 p.m. is his dinner time. He runs to the kitchen crying. Like he has to, there has to be some form of biofeedback going on that tells him now's the time. Because for about an hour on either side, he's fully aware. Yeah. Right? Even, even if we ever do go um, for a later walk on the weekend, he typically turns around halfway because he knows that roughly at 7 a.m. in the morning, he gets fed. So he's like, fuck this, this is breakfast time. I'm not walking anymore. It's true, he does. He refuses I'd to I'd love walk. to know a little bit more about that canine brain. Well, we just ask him. He's an open book. <laughs> All right, I'll ask him after this. <laughs> okay. Uh, some okay. sleep hygiene, some stuff to improve perhaps the quality of yeah, sleep. Yeah, so let's talk about winding down the mind before bed. Because laying in bed with a racing mind can really impact uh -huh. um, getting to sleep in the first place and, and staying asleep. Uh. Before we do that, because I think that will actually tie into stress. Okay. Uh, environmentally, mm -hmm. I think there's a couple of things that most people can do well. Mm -hmm. uh, if you can afford it, make sure you have a really good mattress and pillow. They seem to have a big impact on the quality of sleep. Temperature regulation is really important. Not too hot, not too cold, somewhere in the middle. Uh, that's why men don't like to hug their women while they sleep. That We're hot be. individuals. Okay. Stop messing with our sleep, girls. <laughs> Sorry. Um, and light exposure is probably the other one. You want a room that's like dark, but not fully pitch black, some natural light coming in at some point throughout the day. It's really tough. It's tough in our world because obviously there's lots of lights and artificial lights around. So you sometimes have to black out your room. Uh, but 
ideally you want normal sunlight to come in through your window and let you know when it's time to wake in up in the morning yeah but um so sort of darker room controlled temperature room uh good quality pillow and bed mm -hmm. they're the major ones yeah yeah body temperature reducing or getting colder seems to have a positive impact on sleep um so if you, you know you're feeling just still comfortable but a little warm it might help to get out of the blankets mm -hmm. i like the one leg out yeah okay. that's my techers that's good okay one leg out and then if i'm too hot i'll even throw the fan just on feet <laughs> you know? i um like to wind down by turning lights off so just having maybe the kitchen light on and all lights off in the lounge room when we're just chatting on the couch at night time to be really helpful to help me wind down yeah so typically yeah, getting away from um artificial light when the sun is down is mm -hmm. going to help support that typical circadian rhythm we we're talking about before yeah um, to help wind down the mind uh we who was it who had two identical answers it was nick and matt stenzel wasn't it coach flex coach nick and they, they like to read fantasy Ooh. before bed because fantasy is so far removed from anything nutrition or training and it takes their mind off tomorrow's to-do list or the stressful day and they, yeah, they, they just find it really relaxing. So it doesn't have to be fantasy. I'd rather spoon out my eyeballs and read fantasy personally, <laughs> but I like to read other books on other topics, typically economics or philosophy or whatever you find interesting but not stressful. Um, to, to be helpful as, as a wind down strategy. Um, maybe even drawing or creating somehow, so long as you don't find it too stimulating. Um, maybe or stressful. Or stressful. Yeah. That's one thing that people do fuck up. Like if you say to somebody, oh, you want to do pro parasympathetic activities, anything that's relaxing, mm -hmm. you should do meditation. But if I fucking despise it, that is not relaxing anymore. No, I yeah. always try and get Dean to do watercolor painting with me because I really enjoy art and, and I got into watercolors like a year ago. Dean, no, he finds it really stressful. He, he, okay, your problem is you don't use enough water with the watercolor and you don't let the colors run. It won't let me paint inside you're, the lines. No, you're too controlled. That's not what watercolor is about. Anyways, I could do watercolor as one of my wind down rituals that would wind Dean up. Yeah, no, I like yeah. to paint between the lines <laughs> and do things very rigidly. You're shit creative, me. Dean. Um, but yeah, the, the whole point here is we want to take away that typical stress because most of our life throughout the day is centered around go, 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 uh, what's lots next? of tasks, do what's yeah. next, hyper rigid, uh, very intense. So we want to try and uh, reduce that intensity, relax, take away our artificial light, yeah. get chill. If get you're it. always thinking about, oh, I've got to forget to do, I can't forget to do this tomorrow. Oh, I forgot to do this task today, you know, blah, blah, blah. It might help to just keep a notepad uh, next to your bed, right down to your to-do list, and think about that as leaving your mind and it's on that piece of paper. You don't need to think about it anymore. You're not going to forget because it's written down. You can get to it in the morning. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, and then last but not least, Sex? stress stress management. That definitely works. Well, I mean, it could be a stressful situation for some people. <laughs> it depends. I mean, you know, someone could be on the old <laughs> Don't worry. ram it in. That's an in-joke. That's <laughs> <laughs> Uh, don't ram it in and ram it in. That sounds like it's our in-joke. That's not it's our in-joke. It's, it's not our in-joke. It's a friend. She said don't. He thought she said ram it in. Yeah, it didn't end well. He rammed it in. <laughs> Moving on. She now looks like she has an Adam's apple. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> don't. You know what happened? Don't. Break? Move oh. on. Move on. Oh. <laughs> back to front to front to back. Anyway. Uh, stress management. Don't ram it in. That's the, that's the take. Whatever uh, it may be, don't ram it in. No, stress management's uh, 
I am going to go straight to tips on this one. Okay. Most of the time, uh, what people don't realize is that we have an abundance of very specific stress that we all know how to regulate. Specific stress could be training, uh, aerobic cardio, it could be steps. It's, it's objective. We can put a number to it. Uh, calorie restriction is another one. The non-specific stuff like relationships, money, uh, political stress, economic stress, whatever it may be. So you're be. talking about like emotional stress versus physiological stress? Yeah, or... no, but also like, no, because there's physiological stress that is respondent to non-specific stresses. So like subjective, okay. subjective stresses. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but more so just the stuff that you're not aware of and that you don't typically control uh, directly. Mm -hmm. It's more indirect stress general you don't know what's going on so we can control our sleep and our calorie intake we can't so much control arguments with our spouse correct mm -hmm. and that's the stuff that typically builds up uh it's this whole like you know water and faucet uh analogy that people talk about or the dripping in the half glass full if you talk about the faucet which is an american term for a sink uh stress is filling that faucet up there's only so much drainage at the bottom eventually it's going to overfill typically it doesn't overfill because you're training harder and you're eating less and all the rest of it because you're aware of that shit it occurs because of all of the other non-specific stress. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's where people then eventually just shit the bed and have problems. Mm. So I uh, typically will get people to do three non-negotiables each week. And it kind of centers around what we we're talking about before. It's very parasympathetic dominant behavior, going for a walk on the beach, getting off your phone, listening to some music, uh, watching a movie with your partner, anything that gives you tremendous amounts of joy done for a period of time of at least 30 minutes. Uh, three times per week mm. uh, are my quick little pithy tidbits, I suppose you could say, to give people the ability to manage stress more effectively throughout the course of the week. Mm. You guys might be sitting here thinking, fuck, I have to think about protein and plant food and movement and blah, blah, blah. But just keep in mind that Dean and I and you know our, our clients by the end of the course of our coaching client relationship, it just works in seamlessly with lifestyle. So I use my morning walks as stress management because I'm not just rolling out of bed straight into work. I enjoy walking on the beach, but it also means that I'm getting some sunlight and I'm getting my steps up. Mm -hmm. I need to eat anyways. And I always just think what, what protein and what vegetable would I have in this meal? Um, and, and that, you know, I can add some fats and carbs as well, but, but always reaching for a protein and a veg when I go to eat ticks those boxes as mm -hmm. well. Um, my bedtime, if people ask me to do this or that, I'm like, oh, you know, do you mind if we make that an hour earlier? And I just, I just get tired around that time because I've built a routine around it. Um, so it might sound like, oh, there's too many things to think about. But if you slowly start to introduce these things into your lifestyle and make them habits, you don't need to use your willpower to continue them because they're just part of your life. Yeah, you're creating multiple paths of less resistance. Yeah. Like essentially it's true. Like you could, you could make your walk to the grocery store if it's within walking distance and it could be a relaxing moment and then you've done the grocery. So you've done a job at the end of your relaxing moment, but you got there via relaxation. Yeah. It can be heaps of things, you know, stretching it late at night could be your form of meditation. Mm -hmm. Some people's meditation is just literally having internal conversations on how well they think the day went or how well they went at a particular thing at work or whatever it may be. So, yeah. uh, Try and like Liz has said, is try and intertwine all of these so that they kind of are one amalgamation of controlled nutrition, controlled output, controlled hydration, stress management, and sleep. Mm -hmm. And don't feel like a failure if you can't get them all perfect at the one time because we're after progress, not perfection. You might want to choose the two things um, that you think you could be doing better that would have the most impact on your life. And or one and just start there and then introduce the next thing, then introduce the next thing. Mm. Um, and, 
and we're not robots. So progress, not True. perfection. Love it. That I love is, it too, Dean. That there is the daily minimums. Daily minimums. Anything people need to know about Flex to keep up to date with us. That would fucking awesome. Yeah. Uh, there actually seems to be a resurgence and in interest in the Life After Dining book, which has been really cool. Uh, for those that don't That's know true. what the Life After Dining book is, Liz, what is it? It is a book that teaches people how to live life after dieting without weight regain. Um, it addresses all sorts of things uh, like physical needs, but also, you know, emotional needs, body image issues, resetting goals, things like that. It's also going to give you a big in-depth rundown of essentially what we've just discussed today too, I believe. Like we've got stress management, we've got uh, the difference between willpower and habit stacking and behavior change. We've got uh, ways to get away from tracking your macros, mm -hmm. essentially how to become what we call an informed eater uh, so that you can make good, uh, educated, informed choices around your lifestyle choices and your food choices. That book um, was done because we found that people um, saw the value in understanding nutrition through counting macros and mm -hmm. understanding their needs, but they didn't know how to step away from that. So they were just caught in this cycle where they couldn't go to a social event because the food there didn't fit their macros. And that wasn't supportive of their um, emotional health because they were, it was interrupting their social relationships. Yeah. Um, so, so this book addresses those issues. Yeah. If you are interested in that, there's heaps of information on the website. We have our research review, one-on-one -on -one coaching. If coaching isn't for you on an ongoing basis, we do once off consultations. That's just not with Dean or with I, that's also the other flex success coaches as well. Yep. And you get a recording of that too, which is awesome. So you can always play it back. It's yeah. yours too. We also have a podcast if you've not heard of it before. <laughs> Uh, you're hilarious. Funny. Okay, Dean. Yes. Usually we ask the um, guests this. Let's see if I can remember the order. Let's skip less shit tips mm -hmm. and just, just say that uh, daily minimums. And we're going to go to something worth sharing. Have you read, listened, snorted, mm. anything worth sharing? The majority of my time in education recently has been spent watching and listening to educational material on pharmacology. Just because it interests me. Okay. Probably not that uh, interesting for a lot of people. Then why are you bringing it up, us. mate? Um, but yeah, <laughs> I spend a lot of my time currently on Broderick Chavez's uh, Team Evil Genius uh, membership site. Looks really awesome. Actually, I do have a something worth sharing. Okay. Uh, but that could is, be worth sharing for people that's certainly interested sharing. in performance. But this is great for everyone. And it's the OHPS. I hope I got that right because I only signed up to it yesterday. But it's a performance summit. There's 15 coaches that are going to be giving one hour lectures, I believe, over the course of three days, uh, around about May 15th, I think the date was. Don't quote me on that though. Check Will Crozier from Nexus Performance um, uh, Instagram. He's got some information on it. It's 15 bucks. Nice. And you also get the ability, I think, to replay the video for up to seven days or something like that. So $15, three days, 15 uh, people on it. There's a bunch of epic people on it. Jordan Shallow, who we had on the podcast. <clears throat> Mike Isretal and a monstrous list, including Will himself, which is cool. Awesome. So if you're in education, get on that. Mm. Also, no code. Damn it. No code? Yeah, I don't have a code for that. We're not, we're not well, we, don't, we don't really do codes. No, I know. Um, <laughs> right. Something what was after something I was sharing. If you had 24 hours left on Earth, how would you spend it? Have we asked you that? No, but I really like our life. You would just I'm not going to lie. Our life is pretty fucking cool. Uh, just for interest sake, because that's a heaps boring answer. What's one thing that you would like to do on your last 24 hours on earth? I would probably just go somewhere into Europe and drive it around, drive a car, drive it around. I'm going to drive Europe around. <laughs> uh, get in a car with you and Ruben. 
and we would just drive around from city to city, country to country, eating all of the most delicious I would be food eating speculous. and drinking all of the most delicious coffee um, and checking out all of the sites. And the best thing about that, I think, compared to normal would be I would do it without a phone, without a camera. Because most people fuck up holidays by spending most of their time behind their phone taking pictures mm. and they don't even look at the landscape. They look at so it through their camera. One thing I've been big on in the last few years when we've holidayed a lot more and checked out more countries is to be present in the holiday and not take pictures because I never look at them really again. That's true. Uh, it's the memory that it's lasts. for the gram. The best. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that's sweet. Mm. Uh, something worth sharing, 24 hours. What's something about you that people don't know that might surprise them? A habit or an interest? Uh, not a habit, but something anatomically about me that's broken. Okay. Uh, I have a bifurcated rib, which means my left rib at, I think, T5 uh, is bifurcated, which means it splits into two. So I have 13 ribs on my left side and I have 12 ribs on my right side. What I think that's freak. right. I may have fucked. That's a lot. It's been a long time since I've done anatomy. <laughs> if it's normally 12, I've got 13. If it's normally 13, I've got 14. Right. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, and where can we find you, Dean? So flexsuccess.com.au is our website. Flex underscore success is our Instagram. Are we going to save questions for you for another one another time? Or do you want to hit those up? Oh, no, no one wants to hear about me. Let's move on. We'll, we'll ask Liz those questions. Yeah. Slash, slash, a different In our next, next podcast that we don't have a guest, you can ask me. Cool. That's it, guys. Thanks very much. Bye.